At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I got people to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, it's to educate. It's to teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Remember a year ago when everybody was obsessed with the alphabet? We couldn't decide. Let's see, are we looking at an L-shaped recovery? Or or maybe it's a U. Maybe it's a W. Maybe it's a V. But it turns out the letter we landed on doesn't exist, unless you have real bad handwriting like I do. After still one more day, where much of tech sold off and the rest of the market rallied, Dow gained 318 points. S&P advancing 0.82%. At least Nasdaq gained something, 0.37%. It's becoming clear that the reality is much, much better than almost any business person expected. Now, a year ago, it felt like the end of the world, right? I mean, like Stephen King's The Stand. There was this novel virus, meaning we had no natural immunity. So we were understandably terrified. For me, it was the morgue trucks. They seemed to be everywhere. Right about this time in the Northeast, you probably knew someone who got COVID. You knew someone who died from it. Because I'm naturally paranoid, I started freaking out about the pandemic in early February. And I spent a lot of time warning everyone. But by the time May rolled around, I'd become quite confident that our drug companies would be able to whip up something to stop it, either a drug or a vaccine. While we didn't know when, I'd spoken to enough scientists as part of my due diligence for this show to know it was only a matter of time. They were all willing to talk to you. No one was calling them. Of course, I was uniformly lambasted for my view, including a New York Times article, totally gratuitous. They compared me to Otter from Animal House, that idiot, you know, in the mock courtroom scene. They couldn't believe that I was sincerely telling people to bet on American ingenuity. They filleted me. <laughs> well, it turns out I'm a tougher fish to eat than you think. Hence the letters. OK, now the letters that spelled out the potential trajectory of the economy are listed here. Things seemed pretty darn ugly a year ago, so a lot of people were betting on an L, just a huge decline, followed by a flat line. Some thought we might have a W. Down, then up, then down again for a later recovery a couple years out. The more optimistic source were looking for a U. Yes, a U-shaped recovery with the bottom part lasting maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 months before the turn. Finally, there were people, clowns. Oh, sorry, cockeyed optimists like me who said we're going to have a V-shaped recovery <laughs> because we believed in science. I've been ridiculed so much. I think I really give a darn at this point. 
especially when you're right. By the time last May came along, the L had already been taken off the table. Why? Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi agreed to an emergency rescue package for the economy, and the Fed chief recognized the gravity of the situation. You have money being showered on the airlines, all of which likely would have otherwise gone belly up. Yet special unemployment benefits and yet a novel thing called the Paycheck Protection Plan that put money in the hands of small businesses, allowing many of them to stay alive through the pandemic. Still, 150,000 restaurants failed. Once that money got into people's pockets, it started circulating. Some chose to buy things to fix up their houses at essential stores that stayed open. Uh, Think Home Depot, Lowe's. Others bought stocks, chiefly younger people who were intrigued by the notion of investing, especially when the chips were down and they like Robin Hood. Uh, maybe most important, at least, savings. And for a lot of that savings, it was the stock market. Well, because the Fed backed up the bonds of companies that were hurting, so most of the bankruptcies were confined to small, medium-sized businesses. Terrible for them, but irrelevant to the stock market. Instead of the L... People started speculating again about the W, an economy boosted by the stimulus that could expand until the money ran out, at which point we'd slump right back, regardless of which presidential candidate won the election. However, once the summer got rolling, new infections went down, and we thought we could see our way out of the pandemic. At the same time, we had an exodus away from cities and a work-from-home renaissance that seemed to accelerate each week, backed by the wholesale spending from people who needed to change their entire lifestyle. Returning to work was not an option, but there was so much money sloshed around and so much hope that things would get better that, you know what? The narrative became the U-shaped recovery. Sure, there were still people getting sick, but for a while over the summer, lots of states went back to business as usual. And then the second wave hit. It made us feel like the U-pipe dream. Businesses began hunkering down again. We had tons of layoffs. Whole companies like the automakers and the aerospace place, they just shut down. No more cars. If you weren't in the work from home stocks, well, your portfolio went nowhere. You were, otherwise, you were zooming. By November, though, the whole character of the market changed again when we started hearing about a vaccine that worked. The Pfizer vaccine. It's a charm. A week later, we got equally great numbers from some outfit that like, I had interviewed twice called Moderna that no one even cared. I had them on. I was like, well, that was some, uh, I guess that was some segment that nobody looked at. But the virus was still raging. Third wave hitting us over the winter. Lots of people traveled Thanksgiving, Christmas. Curiously, though, that new wave wasn't devastating to the stock market. The confusion and chaos, not to mention the stop-start nature of vaccine distribution, at times made us feel like the recovery was in jeopardy, especially with the stimulus money running out. There it goes. Put the W back on the table right around election time. Not a lot of new orders coming in except for housing because the urban exes. Keep those. Will you please keep those air? Uh, keep those uh, automobile plants closed, will you? I mean, I don't want to make any autos. Then an amazing thing happened. Once Biden was sworn in, the vaccination program started going a lot more smoothly, and it didn't turn into a culture war thing like Mass had. We quickly realized a simple truth. Science was not only winning, science so ridiculed a year ago had won. Just one problem. A big W for science meant the economy would have a big V, meaning the least likely scenario was coming true. Most businesses just weren't prepared for it. The automakers in particular didn't have enough chips. They had slashed orders during the dark days of 2020. Homebuilders had to put up so many houses that they bid up all the commodities and appliances going to home. A freak winter storm out of nowhere took all of our plastic capacity. Bizarre bottlenecks in California ports jacked up the cost of imported goods. Why don't they just go to Baltimore or something? Oil bottomed and surged higher because of a new president who's a lot less enthusiastic about fossil fuels. Travel came back to life. Turns out that airplanes aren't dangerous. But then it was clear that we didn't have an L. We didn't have a W. We didn't have a U. We didn't even have a V. We had some new darn animal. We had a super V with the right side 
almost straight up, taking us well above where we were before the pandemic. And that is the situation now, right here. We got an economy plagued by shortages because we had the wrong letters all along. Nobody saw this kind of strength coming. Plus, many money managers own the wrong stocks. So even as Wall Street kept printing new software as the server stocks and cybersecurity stocks and SPACs, money shifted into the scarce industrials and natural resource place. Most of them have been buying back stock for years, and there's just not a lot of supply. The bottom line, the implications of the Super V are finally being realized, and the gains are coming fast and furious, but only for a very small part of the market where there's no new stock being created, just buybacks retiring old shares. The scarcity creates tremendous value, at least for those of you who know the alphabet when you see it. We're going to Chris in Texas. Chris! Hey, Jim. Booyah! Booyah, right back at you. First-time caller. Oh, I always like first-time callers. Calling in from the Lone Star State. My question for you today is about Rocket Mortgage. I know they just reported earnings yesterday, so I wanted to hear what you think. It seems like they get no love from Wall Street because they think rates will eventually rise. But I remember back in the 80s, people were buying houses at 18%, and 15 years ago, 6% was a good interest rate. I have a hard time believing people will just stop buying houses because of an uptick in rates, and Rocket Mortgage will keep gaining market share for a market they already well, I'll tell you, Chris, you're absolutely right. It's just that I think that they're, you know, they'll be willing to cut price to take share. Uh, they're a very low-cost operator. People want a dividend. Uh, you give us a dividend. Uh, people want more than just, I'll tell you what they really want. They want J.P. Morgan. And they want Bank of America. And this one's fallen out of, out of favor on the Wall Street Fashion Show, even though I totally agree with you. I think they're really smart guys. Jay Farner's terrific. Let's go to Jack in Connecticut, please. Jack. Hey, Booyah, Jim, from Stanford, Connecticut, an Action Alerts Club member. And thanks for your awesome investment perspective. Oh, you are terrific. We had a couple good ones. That UPS was great. I'm so glad you're a member of the club. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Thank you. well hey, Jim, my, my, uh, here's the way I look at it. My earnings have been spectacular on NASDAQ names like Apple and NVIDIA and AMD, but they're not trading on earnings or future earnings, cash on hand profits, or even pricing power in, in an interest rate environment. My question, what sector or individual stocks do you recommend adding now to offset my overweight investments in, in uh, technology companies like these for the short term and first, midterm? First, I have to tell you, I think the technology stocks will come back. Uh, so I no panic. Second, I like the industrials and I like the rails. And then third, I like broken down consumer uh, product stories because they are going to start bottoming as interest rates are lower. But there's no need to make wholesale changes. Just add some of the industrials that I've been adding into the club and I'll tell you, you'll feel a lot better. Don't forget, we have a big call next week. I'm going to ask. I'm going to talk about your question because I really like it. All right, the gains are coming fast for a small part of the market. And that scarcity creates value. Please know your alphabet. Oh, man, tonight, it's a pizza party, and you're invited. I've got the exclusive with Papa John's after earnings to see if Doe can keep rising. Then can Etsy craft a comeback after today's hideous decline? i got the CEO. And can a company like Ping Identity continue to climb in a market that seems so hostile to enterprise tech? I'm going to be talking to the CEO after support. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm calling it right here, right now. We got a bull market in pizza. Earlier this year, it looked like this whole industry would have a rough time as the world reopened. Competition from other restaurants came back. But this earnings season has proven that pizza's here to stay. Last week, we got an excellent number from uh, both Domino's and Yum Brands. Uh, that's, by the way, Pizza Hut, which saw its best same-store sales numbers from the once more abundant operation. Then today, we got arguably the best quarter of all from Papa John's International. The company blew away the estimates, delivering a 34-cent earnings beetle for 56-cent basis. Spectacular 26% same-store sales growth in North America when Wall Street was only looking for 15. No wonder Papa John's stock could rally 7.3% today, with the stock climbing back to a triple digits. Everyone thought this was a pandemic play whose days were numbered now of the greater reopenings upon us. Clearly, that's bogus. So let's take a closer look with Rob Lynch, the president CEO of Papa John's, who's quietly overseen an incredible turnaround over the past couple of years. Mr. Lynch, congratulations in the quarter. Welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Rob, I don't know how you're capable of doing a 26% comp. What does it mean every day for a Papa John's store owner? It means a lot of hard work. Our Store owners, our franchisees, our team members have all put in everything they've had to keep this thing going through the pandemic as transactions have grown dramatically. And here we are to start off 2021 and the business keeps going. So it's really been a lot of effort from a lot of great people on the ground, on the front lines, um, taking care of our customers. And how is it possible we celebrate some very large chains that are worldwide, as is yours, but that add two million people? to their customer loyalty program in one year. How did you do, uh, you doubled it. How did you do that? 
Yeah, we went from 12 million people a year ago to 20 million this year. And it really is all about our digital business. Uh, it's a huge business for us. We're an e-commerce business. Over 70% of our business comes through the digital channels. So as we bring them in, we, can, we do our best to kind of engage with them, make sure that we're delivering great incentives for them to keep coming back. And they start to realize the value. And then they join our loyalty program and the relationship goes even deeper. So we've just been very focused on making our digital experience as frictionless as possible and making sure that we're taking great care of our customers. And the DoorDash relationship works well for your guys, huh? It's an incredibly symbiotic relationship with all of the aggregators. Their drivers need trips and we have them. We need their drivers. So as we have ramped up and as, as you know, it's been more challenging to staff the restaurants because of how much business they've been doing, the aggregators have been great partners and really helped us get through our busiest peak periods. I always tell people from ever since my kids were little that Papa John's has fewer ingredients than your mom and pop place in your local town. And it's always been that way. I think that has served you very well during this period. Yeah, we've made a strategic decision that we are going to stay focused on what makes Papa John special. It's better ingredients, better pizza. We're focused on making sure that everything we put into every pizza is the best we can possibly procure. And there's no different with all of our innovation. We're always making sure that we're putting the best ingredients into everything we make. But you've, you're still an innovator, epic uh, stuffed crust. Uh, Papadillas, a lot of people tell me they love the Papadillas. I have not had them yet. I know you sent us some fantastic stuff. Was that what I'll be having for dinner? I hope so, Jim. I mean, if not, you're going to be missing out. Uh, it's just unbelievable food that our team is, is coming up with. The creativity that's coming out of our culinary group is just amazing. And the Papadillas have been a big hit. We launched them back in, last year in February followed up by Shakaroni. We talked a lot about that, I think, a couple times. And then this year, Epic Stuff Crust has been has exceeded every expectation we had for the, for the innovation uh, that we launched. And, you know, customers love it. And Stuffed Crust Pizza customers are the best pizza customers. They uh, come back more often. They have higher ticket averages, greater frequency. So we're just really happy with the, how everyone's received the stuffed crust this year. Now, is that an example of because uh, of, you're so digital that you actually are able to know what the customer wants and therefore have a better relationship with that customer than, again, uh, lo- other local guys who may just don't have the technology you do? Absolutely. Papa John's was the first brand to launch digital ordering back in 2001. So we spent 20 years getting this right. And over the course of the pandemic, as you know, the industry has had to move to more of an online ordering uh, capability and and, and delivery. Well, we've been doing that a long time. We think we're the best at it. So um, as we've built the model, we've learned more and more about our customers. So we're able to really understand what their wants and needs are and deliver on them. Are you learning more and more more about your customers in Cambodia? (laughs) Yeah, Cambodia and Germany are our two latest uh, markets that we've opened. Now we have 50 markets globally. I'm sorry, that's funny. Um, we're, we're learning about them. We're learning about all of our customers, but we got a lot of white space, Jim. We've got, uh, you know, our competitors are in about 100 countries globally. We're in 50. Big markets like Australia, Brazil, France, we haven't penetrated yet. So we're working really hard to make sure that we can bring Papa John's to everyone around the globe. At the same time, I mean, there's a lot of white space here. I mean, you're still putting up uh, you're putting up units. But a lot of others just stopped during this pandemic. But you have no problem putting some more in. Yeah, absolutely. We want to take really good care of our customers. So in markets where we see 
opportunities to strategically place new units, reduce the time to delivery, and deliver better service. We're making big investments there, both with our, fr our franchisees as well as the company. We're putting our own capital into new restaurants because we believe so much in the returns that we're going to derive from that. You know, I, I was uh, looking at the quarter uh, quarters from Lyft and, and, and the quarters from Uber, and I was thinking that they really truly need, uh, because of the price of, of uh, drivers, they really need to have uh, autonomous, and I think it's far away. You guys buy, uh, you guys buy giving it to DoorDash. You're not, that's, their shortage of drivers is their problem, not your problem, correct? Well, you know, there's a, there's a challenge across the industry and across a lot of industries right now on drivers. But we've done everything we can to be the employer of choice throughout over the last year. We've made sure that we're taking good care of our employees. We offer them free college. We offer them free telehealth medicine. We're doing everything we can to be to retain great talent and take care of our employees. All right. One last question. And I, this very nice woman. I feel terrible about it. But I went on your website to Olivia, okay, on the bottom right corner, to see how many jobs I could get. There are a lot of assistant manager jobs open. Uh, okay, is it is it hard to find employees? And uh, Olivia's terrific, by the way. She she's like a bot, but she's terrific because there are a lot of jobs that are open right now for Papa John's. Yeah, we're hiring like crazy. I mean, <laughs> we've added over thirty thousand jobs in our company over the last year, and across our system, it's over a hundred thousand people that we've hired. And if we could find them, we'd hire 10,000 more tomorrow. So anybody that's looking for a job, it's a great place to work. We'll take good care of you. Come on in. All right. Well, I always love to hear that because I know that these are people who could they'll look for a job and they'll end up owning a store and then they'll end up making great money. And that's the American dream. Rob Lynch, president CEO of Papa John's. Great quarter. Great work. Ever since you've come in, what a star. Fantastic numbers. Okay. Good to see you. Thanks, Jim. It's a team effort. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Papa John's winner. Pizza dinner. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, can this company make you money by changing the rules of the game? Everyone else is playing Amazon's game. Etsy plays a different game. We lift up our sellers. Kramer gets crafty with the CEO of Etsy next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, 
What the heck just happened to the stock of Kramer Fave Etsy, the beloved online marketplace for all sorts of handmade goods that's become a lifeline for small businesses during the pandemic? Last night, Etsy reported excellent results, but no one cared about those numbers because management's guidance for the next quarter was pretty dispiriting. As the world goes back to normal, they're forecasting a big slowdown. With gross merchandise sales growing at just 5 to 15 percent, down more than 130 percent in the first quarter, although still above what a lot of analysts are looking for. Meanwhile, they see revenue growth plunging from over 140 percent down to more than like 20 percent. And don't even get me started on profitability. Making matters worse, Etsy devoted a big chunk of its conference call to explaining how they benefit from stimulus payments, something investors hate to hear because it's all one-off. Now, everybody's ladies are focused on the fact that the company's about to face some incredibly difficult comparisons, which is why the stock plunged nearly 15% today. But what do we do with it now? Could this pullback be a buying opportunity or is it time to cut and run even down that much? Earlier today, we sat down with Josh Silverman, the president and CEO of Etsy. Take a look. I don't like to disagree with our guest, Josh Silverman. I've learned to respect him and understand his acumen. But, Josh, it's never been as good to become a customer of Etsy. It's never been easier. You've made it so that you actually understood the neural aspects. But maybe I am a victim of being a constant and habitual shopper, as are my children. Josh, isn't it possible that the things that you are doing to make it so easy for buyers and sellers might trump some of this concern about a drop-off because the government stimulus money runs out. Well, first, I couldn't agree more, and 90 million people agree with you, Jim. So we had 90 million active buyers in the first quarter. And in fact, we had 8 million habitual buyers. These are our most loyal buyers that have bought on six or more purchase days and spent $200 or more. And that's up 200% year over year. So we are absolutely delighted with uh, with what's happening in terms of buyer activity and frequency and loyalty uh, on, on Etsy. Uh, let's take advantage of the fact that it is right before Mother's Day. Of course, I was speaking to uh, my daughter, who is both a seller and a buyer, and she said because of the personalization, she had no problems in finding what to do. Her boyfriend, again, likes bowls. No problems. Personalization, neural networks, they are the bowls. I have to believe that there's learned behavior from the shutdown last year that is continuing and it probably in some ways accelerating for these holidays because people recognize that 90 percent of them can't find this stuff anywhere else. That's true. 90 percent of, of, of Etsy shoppers say they come to Etsy because they're looking for things they can't find anywhere else. And that's what Etsy does different. And that's what's so special about Etsy. You're buying from the person that actually made the item and they're making it just for you and including a handwritten note. And You know, everyone else is playing Amazon's game. They're trying to sell you that same mass produced stuff and try to ship it a little faster than Amazon or sell it a little cheaper. And good luck. Etsy plays a different game. We lift up our sellers. Now, four and a half million artisans, craftspeople selling on Etsy that you can connect with directly and buy from. And uh, again, uh, my experience, others' experiences, if you're not happy or you think there's other ideas, you contact the seller. It's very, very uh, different. And the word that you use for one of your pillars that I think describes it is trust. There is no trust in the process of mass buying and selling. There is trust on Etsy. 
Absolutely, a very high percentage of, of purchases on Etsy involve a conversation between the buyer and the seller, and that's often customization. Hey, I love that shirt. Can you do it in short sleeve or long sleeve? Or I love that desk, but can you make it to the following dimensions? And that's something that only happens on Etsy, and it builds a sense of community, and it definitely has trust and craftsmanship. So it's a very unique experience. We think it's just a better way to shop, and millions of people are finding that and are agreeing. Uh, I plant this weekend. So what am I planning? I'm planning my Etsy peas. Now, I have historically bought peas at a hardware store that has uh, something interesting that everyone else in America is using. But when I use it on Etsy, I've got for Riles. Is gardening something that we learned during the pandemic continuing now that the pandemic is lifting? Gardening and all kinds of outdoor activities are, are, are going really big on Etsy right now. Everyone is so excited to be able to be outdoors. And now the CDC says you can even be outdoors with, without a mask in public if you're vaccinated. And so people are really rushing to take advantage of that. And, you know, one of the great things about the Etsy uh, model is that it is so dynamic. It is so responsive to consumer trends. There's 100 million things for sale on Etsy right now. And anything that is suddenly hot. For sure, we've got some of them for sale on Etsy. And if we don't, our sellers will be making them within hours to respond to that trend. The semantic bridge, which is a term that I love, is a radical change from where Etsy was three or four years ago and makes the process so much easier to find what you want. Again, I have to believe these changes, Josh, are going to make it for a permanent higher increase every year in people coming to Etsy worldwide, by the way, Germany, too. I believe that's true. And in fact, when we ask buyers in, 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 in the United States and the UK, name your 10 favorite, name your favorite places to shop online. Etsy is now a top 10 place uh, people name in both the U.S. and the U.K. We don't ask your favorite handmade place or your favorite place to buy home furnishings or art. We just say favorite place to shop online. And Etsy is now a top 10 in both the U.S. and the U.K. And I see no reason we can't be a top five and higher in in the years to come. I agree with you, particularly because you highlight the fact that influencers love it. And influencers are the new way we advertise. Because, again, trust And you've got influencers trusting Etsy. And talking about the uniqueness of their tastes and how they can express it to their community. So, so many influencers who love Etsy, who are passionate about Etsy and talk about Etsy to their community already, we've created a tool where those influencers can curate their own collection of their favorites on Etsy and then broadcast that out to their community and say, here's what I love on Etsy. And that shows the desirability, the specialness, the uniqueness, the scarcity of items on Etsy, and it allows Etsy to reach many, many different diverse communities in ways that feel very personal to them. Now, we understand, obviously, there was language on the call, which indicates that there could be a slowdown. And I could emphasize that if I wanted to, Josh. But you know what? Let others emphasize that. I see secular growth of truth and craft, craftsmanship where the seller is uniquely a partner with the buyer. And if others do what my family does, of which there's no reason why they won't, it will be Etsy in the top one or two ways to go. I'm not saying it's anti-Amazon because we all love Amazon, but it is the great alternative of which many of us felt very alienated during the pandemic, Josh. This is a way to come together, Etsy. 
I couldn't agree more. And I think the past year has caused a lot of us to dig deep in what do we value, what do we care about, and how do we put our money where our heart is. And I think a lot of people say, maybe I want to buy fewer things, but I want those things to mean more. I crave more human connection. And Etsy is a very different way to shop that is more human, that is more unique, that is more special. And we'll always need mass-produced products that we use, and then they end up in a landfill two minutes later. And, and, and we're going to need some of that. But there's also a huge role for buying things that are made just for you and, and that you care about. Let's leave it there, because I think that's the long-term view of Etsy. Josh Silverman, CEO of Etsy, you know I'm a passionate believer, passionate user. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Jim. You very rarely get a break in this stock. Why? Because it's a, what we call a secular grower. They gave you the negatives. They, I think, have to do that because truth is their game. But it's really not a game. The essence of connection is Etsy. Stay with Craig. Coming up, need an investing idea? Just ping me. Kramer sits down with a company that wants to have your back from log in to log out. Next. On still one more volatile day for tech, some software stocks been able to buck the trend and move higher. Look at Ping Identity, the cybersecurity play that handles identity and access management. Stock worth 8% today in response to a terrific quarter. Most of the tech stocks have gone down in good quarters. Of course, Ping had already sold off hard earlier in the year. It was a $37 stock when it peaked in February. It pulled back to $23 yesterday, in part because the last quarter was widely panned. Since then, it hasn't been able to get much traction because the market's turned against that whole enterprise software space, as I said at the top. But last night, Ping reported a solid top and bottom line beat, accelerating recurring revenue growth, even better. Management raises full year forecast and give you a nice outlook for the next quarter. They're saying some very positive things about the new cloud-based product portfolio, too. That's why the stock could bounce today. But can it keep climbing in a market that can be so hostile to tech on a day-to-day basis? Well, let's check in with Andre Duran. He's the founder and CEO of Ping Identity. Get a better read on the quarter of the company's prospects. Mr. Duran, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be here. Thank you. Okay, so Andre, you make very clear that there are certain metrics that you should be graded by, and you blew out that metric. You blew out the annual recurring revenue, which is what we want, because there's so much less volatility. How did you do it? Well, Jim, um, you know, the clouds are lifting a little bit on enterprise budgets and projects, and so as companies get more optimistic about the future and a little bit more stable, Um, we're seeing a resurgence of interest in identity. And of course, COVID accelerated a whole slew of things that were already in the works. Um, The shift to work from home really put a spotlight on identity. And so, uh, yes, you are right. Annual recurring revenue is the key metric of growth for Ping. We're really pleased with the results of the quarter. And, uh, and, you know, we're seeing a good interest now building in the pipeline as companies come back and want to take on larger projects. Including a gigantic retailer, we don't get their name, but we know it's really important, who decided they were working with you and Microsoft, they decided they only needed Ping. How come they can choose a Ping over the King? <laughs> well, to be clear, uh, Microsoft is an important partner of ours. Um, every large company uh, has a large Microsoft right. uh, suite of applications that they consume. Uh, but in this particular case, 
uh, this company chose Ping to be the independent provider of identity to span all of their clouds, all of their applications on-prem and in the cloud. And look, that's what we're really good at. We're really good at these large enterprises providing uh, employees, the workforce, a single point of entry, eliminating passwords, and then making sure that they can gain secure access to everything and do so across multiple clouds. Many large companies realize that they will consume services from multiple clouds. Having that identity control plane independent of those clouds gives them future agility and choice. Okay, now we're at the enterprise level, but the uh, about three months ago, my wife said, you know what, we're going to replace the TV in the living room with a Vizio. She got a giant Vizio. She hung it herself. She's pretty handy. And somehow it knows it's me. How? <laughs> well, so look, identity sits underneath personalization of all of our gadgets, um, all of our devices, our TVs, and it is being uh, identity is being viewed as the as the control point, or really kind of the linchpin to bring services together from the point of view of the end user. So, all of us just want a single identity, log into that identity, then gain access to all the content, services, games, other things that we want to order online. And really, the Vizio TV is like a gigantic computer screen sitting in the middle of our living room, and so transforming that business as that screen really has become smarter over time is, is what we're doing with Vizio. So that is you. I mean, it does know me and knows what my thing, what I want to do and where I go. I don't realize it's ping, but it is, but it is ping. We're inside of a whole slew of consumer services uh, that you would never quite realize. But behind the scenes, somebody needs to secure uh, your identity, um, allow for all the personalization features, um, these days, there's a lot of privacy regulation that companies have to comply with to make sure they're not sharing your data uh, with partners that you haven't given, given consent to. So securing uh, securing your identity, that personalization, all of that is paying. And one last question. A lot of people might say, well, Jim, repeatedly, you have had Okta on and therefore there's no room for ping and Okta. But you make it very clear that you two companies are going in different directions and there is room for both in a, an important part of your conference call where you even indicate that Okta's most recent acquisition is, is really very divergent from what ping brings. Yeah, they're, they're zigging and we're zagging, uh, you know, which, which is good as we place the bets on the future. Uh, look, this is an absolutely enormous space. At the end of the day, right. you can't. Uh, you can't secure what you can't identify. And so in this new world, we're really connecting every user to every service and application and piece of data, everything to everything. So it really is an, an enormous space. In our particular case, we focus on large enterprises, the Global 3000. We serve over 60% of the Fortune 100. And, um, and it's all about enabling great user experiences, hopefully passwordless user experiences, right. great call center experiences and securing this workforce that now is working from everywhere. So it really is just an enormous space. Well, I definitely think there's room for two. We've got some companies where there's 10, 10 industries, so there's 10, 20 providers. Here we just know of a couple, and you had a great uh, great quarter. The market loved it. Thank you so much, Andre Duran, the CEO of Ping, symbol, of course, P-I-N-G. It's always good to see you. Thank you, Jim. It's good sometimes when a company reports a good quarter and the stock goes higher, isn't it? Well, that was ping. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is. 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? There's a lightning round question. I'm going to start with Bernice in Florida. Bernice. Yes. Hey, Kramer. I have to tell you I love Mad Money. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Now, I've been watching a long time, a little history as a former Conan employee hubby in New York. We now reside in Florida. My question to you is concerning my Conan stock, of course. Should I keep it or sell it? It's okay, uh, you know, there's a feeling that the regulator is going to be very tough here, which is why I prefer American Electric Power. It's got better growth. It's got a better regulatory environment. I would not keep it over AEP. Now we're going to Allen in New York. Allen. Booyah from Great Neck, New York. Oh, man, not well. Number. Not well. What's up? Okay, I appreciate all your hard work. My wife loves you. Um, my stock tonight is at core. Symbol A, T is in Tom, K-R. Should I trim or hold? No, how do you know Accor? Because this is a great little company. I mean, I'm not kidding. Uh, this is one, if it would pull back, it's at 87. If it would pull back even like two bucks, I would just tell people to buy it. But more importantly, there is a gentleman here, Bill Waltz. Will you please come on the show? Because your company is magnifique. Jeff in Colorado. Jeff. Kramer, how you doing? Doing well. How about you? The chill's doing well. What's happening? I got a question on innovative industrial properties. Oh, I love that. That's the best. That's the smartest way to play cannabis, man. You know, and then the second one is the uh, the second is the grow generation. But that is that's the first. Uh, And I should talk about it more. Let's go to Eric in South Carolina. Eric. Booyah, Jimbo. Booyah. I'm uh, calling about a small biotech company called Arenia Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, that's they're just doing okay. Um, you know, it's a speculative stock, but it's not not making any money. It's uh, as a matter of fact losing a huge amount of money. Let's go to Betty in Vermont. Betty. Well, hi there, Jim. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's oh, my, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm calling about Ericsson with on the Nasdaq listed as Eric D R I C. Yeah, you know what? Look, that's making a comeback. I actually think at this point, and I don't recommend this typically, is Nokia is a better buy. I think Nokia is making a faster comeback than Ericsson. Can I go to Ted in Arizona, please? Ted! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Ted. I'm a long-time, I'm a long-time watcher, Jim, and I want to thank you for some great stock advice. Oh, you're terrific. Uh, the chill says thanks. What's what up? There's... There's more. I want to thank you for your philanthropy with the, with the Charitable oh. Trust. Oh, thank you. That's Giving great. away more than $3 million. Very proud of that. Thank you very much. I wonder. You should be. You're a philanthropist. Thank you. Uh, my stock uh, I want to ask you about is Petco. I love the company. I love the pet industry. And uh, I just wonder what's going on there. The stock price has stock I am a believer in in ron i am a believer in petco i think it's a terrific stock i know that everybody likes chewy i say there's more room than just chewy i think you got a good one i need to go to andrew in colorado andrew hey jimmy chill for you and the team i like that i like the spirit of that that you're showing how can i help Hey, I'm calling about the reopening stock, Madison Square Garden Entertainment, MSG. I think you're calling about a winner. That's what I think. I think it's a terrific idea, and I think it's a good stock. Uh, and I used to not think that. So I think I, I, I like it a lot. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the 
lightning round! The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, it's silent and starving, ready to eat your spending power. So what can you do to curb inflation's appetite? Kramer's got the recipe. Next. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. There are a lot of money managers following the hedge fund playbook. That's what I always call it. I was a hedge fund manager at one point. Playbook is very clear about what you need to do when you start to get inflation in a rapidly growing economy. You buy the inflation winners at any price and you dump everything else again, as we've seen from the software stocks, at any price. You don't need a lot of brain power for some of these ideas. The plan is the nose on your face. For instance, if a company's mining copper and the price of copper goes up, you got a winner, which is why Freeport McMorans keeps going up. You can buy tech resources, too, another excellent mineral company that I like. Regular viewers know that I like Cleveland Cliffs. That's the iron ore company that transformed into a steel producer last year for a couple of big acquisitions. They now have the lowest raw cost of any steel maker on earth. We also heard from Nucor a couple of weeks ago, the best of breed steel maker that you know I like. It's been on forever on the show, and boy, is it ever paying off. These are all obvious winners. If you want to play the rotation, you can buy something like Caterpillar, too. Remember when we heard them on? Weren't they telling a good story? They told us they're not in trouble with raw costs. Remember, Cat's got a big mining equipment business, so anything that's good for the miners is good for them, too. What else works? All right, oil's had quite a run, but the oil stocks are still very low. I'm reluctant to endorse most of them, as you know, but they have been changing their stripes. I do prefer Pioneer Natural for growth and Chevron for that glorious dividend. And, yes, a very good, with Mike Worth, ESG thought pattern. Same with Exxon, by the way. Lately, I've become enamored with the pipeline operators because I think the Biden administration will make it next to impossible to construct big new ones. That would make the existing pipelines a lot more lucrative, and they've been going up. Now, there's been cutthroat competition in this industry, but if the demand for energy keeps rising and there's no new pipe, well, you can own most of them. Now, many of them are master limited partnerships, and that means they have a favorable tax structure. That's something I am worried I'm worried about that the White House might take that away. They are Democrats. In that case, you want Kinder Morgan, KMI. That's a regular corporation with a good yield that won't get hurt if Biden fiddles with the tax code. It'll probably do better. There's one more group that investors keep flocking to right now, though, and this is, well, let's just say quizzical. It's the banks. It may seem counterintuitive because inflation tends to be pretty bad for the financial industry, right? But this is not a traditional bout of inflation. Right now, commodity prices are rising because of short-term considerations. Tariffs on lumber and steel. And energy policy discourages new oil drilling. A superstorm that trashed much of our plastic capacity. A terrible chip shortage. An intractable ports jam-up. And higher labor costs fueled by more generous unemployment benefits that make it so that it may be better to not work than to work. That ends in October. The banks have nothing to do with this stuff. 
Think about it. The banks are all digitizing. They have way too many employees. They're trying to shrink their footprint and fire people. They don't buy or need any semiconductors. So these shortages mean nothing for J.P. Morgan or Bank of America or some of the others I've listed here. Instead, they've become a terrific hedge for the moment. If this inflation turns out not to be transitory, if it becomes entrenched, then Fed Chief Jay Powell will eventually have to raise short-term interest rates, which is fabulous for the banks. It means they can instantly make more money every day just by turning the lights on. That's why you're seeing such strong moves in Bank of America, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo. Consider them hedged inflation plays. Candidly, though, I'm, I, I'm not that crazy about this style of investing. I mean, first of all, I, I think these banks are going to have to hire a lot of people if things are this good. And I'm increasingly convinced that Powell's right. The inflation we're dealing with will be transitory. Something that happens is demand comes surging back and supply takes a little while to catch up. If any one commodity starts going, just one, they're going to be dominoes. I think they'll all come down because they're all trading in sync. Watch corn. Watch lumber. Those are the two I think are most vulnerable. On top of that, all this talk about semiconductors being short supply for many years to come. Oh, please. Complete misjudgment of the cycle, the semi-cycle. I know the semi-cycle. That judgment will be wrong. The plastic plants are soon to come back online. Oh, they they, were, they, they bungled the way they shut them down before uh, Superstorm Uri, but they'll come back. The enhanced unemployment benefits, they do go away in four months. Then you can say goodbye to wage inflation. So, sure, you can buy these inflation winners, but try to remember that this kind of action does tend to be temporary. There's only so high the price of copper or steel can go before the whole thing becomes self-correcting. And when it does, you know what? You will wish you owned more than just the red-hot stocks of the minerals, the oils, and the banks. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.